Hello and welcome. This is Verity and we are here today for another episode in the Global Sport Conversation podcast series. It's in a collaborative project between the Centre for International Studies and Diplomacy, the Japan Research Centre and the Centre for Media and Film Studies here at SOAS. This is all proudly funded by our Research and Enterprise Office. I'm really pleased today to have a mixture of student, industry, academic experts in the room. Um, and briefly, uh, Gavin and Wandy, welcome. And could you tell us a little bit about yourselves? Hi, I, I'm Gavin Price. I'm a trade specialist in the UK government and I'm also an associate tutor on the SOAS Global Diplomacy programme and I have an active interest in sports diplomacy largely through my master's degree where I focus on football diplomacy. Fabulous, thank you. And Wandy? Hi, so my name is Wandy and uh, I'm a student at SOAS and in the Center for International Studies and Diplomacy and uh, much of my interest lies in international development, specifically aid uh, and development in East Africa as well as security related issues throughout the Horn of Africa. Marvellous. We'll have plenty to speak about today. Both of your accents are very different to mine. Uh, so yeah, just the next question is maybe go into a little bit more detail of your connection to sport, but also what's brought you to London? Sure. Um, I'm a native of Wales and the UK, but I spent a lot of time in Australia. I came to SOAS on the back of my master's degree and I finished it whilst in London after returning from 17 years in Australia. So it was a fantastic opportunity to return, continue my studies, and then also do some work with the British Council. Brilliant, brilliant. Wandy? Um, my accent is definitely American, um, but uh, I'm originally from Ethiopia, and uh, my connection to sports really is uh, deals about, you know, the amount of football I played in, in, in the US as mm -hmm. well as uh, in Ethiopia. Um, I came to London really to get my master's in international development and, uh, and diplomacy, and I believe that SOAS is a great school for that to understand the complex issues, and so I'm just finishing up my uh, master's program. Gosh, we didn't even we didn't even ask you to say that, yeah. so thanks, Wendy. That yeah. that's really complimentary thoughts, and it's lovely to have. Um, both what I would perceive as, as experts, because you've you've experienced such a rich diversity of, of cultures and countries far beyond what I've experienced. And hopefully our listeners will be benefit today um, as they have with the previous podcasts. Uh, we've now had someone from Switzerland, someone who specializes in, uh, well, is in Russia at the minute, um, and someone from a French uh, American perspective. So we've got another real rich podcast today. Um, you've both mentioned uh, elements of development and I guess uh, trade development and possibly more aid-based development. Um, could you just offer a couple of thoughts on where you where you found sport to intersect with those concepts? Uh, Wandy, we'll start with you. Okay. Um, you know, for me, the way sports interacts is uh, in terms of aid and development is the lack of... of uh, when it comes to specifically the UK government's policies towards aid, um, I think the lack of recognition where uh, sports kind of intersects. And a lot of it, I think, really deals with infrastructure and technical know-how. I think uh, specifically the UK has real expertise in, um, in putting on successful international sporting events. Yeah. And I think this could be used to transfer this kind of knowledge and consultancy 
consultancy to specific African countries that are working to build up their capacity to host major international events. So as you can see, Morocco's bid uh, just a couple days ago yeah. for to host uh, the World Cup. Yeah. Uh, and I think this is a, a really good asset that the UK has, but is now utilizing it. Yeah. And I believe your research is taking you to look at um, some of the regulations around that and specific um, stadium infrastructure. Right. Um, do you have an example of that? Yes. Yeah, so uh, if you look at Ethiopia's involvement in the construction of stadiums, um, their partnership with the Chinese, who are really focused on not necessarily political uh, rights, but more about infrastructure and economic yeah. integration, um, Ethiopia is constructing several large stadiums to be able to host major international uh, sporting events. Uh, more specifically, at this current moment, it's focused on uh, the context of African uh, sports, uh, so the African Federation. Um, but uh, one of the stadiums they're building meets uh, f Olympic regulations yeah. and uh, FIFA regulations. Yeah. So there's this uh, hope to host these events later on, and the capacity of the stadium is uh, about 60,000 people. Wow, that's that's a really um, long-term strategy. Right. And I'm going to bring Gavin in there because pulling on your Australia experience, um, Australia, as we've heard in this podcast series, um, has had an interesting relationship with sport, but similarly, um, a long-term strategy. Did you experience that at all in your 17 years there? Certainly. Um I was involved a little bit around the organisation and implementation of the plan for um, the Asian Confederations Cup. So that's the equivalent of the European Championships, the international football tournament, which attracts um, many qualifiers from across the Asian region. And as some of you may be aware, uh, the Asian Confederation is quite a, a, a broad church, for want of a better phrase. Yeah. Um, it encompasses um, countries um, like Uzbekistan towards Central Asia, then down towards Southeast Asia, um, Thailand, Malaysia. Then if we think of Australia, that also begs the question, is Australia actually an Asian country? And that's another debate that we could talk about um, for, for probably a couple of hours. Yeah. Um, so... From a development perspective, that, that, that tournament was a fantastic opportunity to bring together many countries that arguably may not come together for, for positive reasons. If you think some of the qualifiers were, were um, uh, South Korea and North Korea, yeah. Iran, Iraq, those, those countries were coming together um, with delegations of officials and it allowed them to talk about football as a positive hook and then maybe more positive discussions could happen around um, international relations themes, maybe trade, maybe development, and just build a more positive and cohesive society in the region. Um, certainly, um, Australia also is arguably one of the most successful countries from an immigration perspective. Again, it's something we could talk about in depth. But there, there are many migrant communities that, that pull together. So one of the things that fascinated me was a game that took place in Canberra um, between um, Iran and Iraq. Um, there were two sets of fans, many second second generation Australians who had migrated from these countries coming together for really positive reasons, having a lot of fun. There was not, not a sense of animosity. It was a carnival atmosphere and it turned out to be a fantastic game and it was one of the most rewarding experiences from a fan perspective for, for me. So so I think it's that cultural engagement and, and bringing people together to talk positively on a human level, about things that excite them, with football and sport being being the hook to bring people together. 
that sounds like an, an awesome experience and I think that's something um, all three of us share is that we've got a real diversity of experiences but interestingly what connects us at the moment is that fans so everyone can relate to hopefully in some form being a fan of something whether it's sport is you know more specific um, interestingly though um, that's a, the cultural perspective um, and Wandy and Gavin, you've touched slightly on the economic and political perspectives as well and bringing in a more governmental uh, space. Um, do you have any reflections or thoughts on where you see the role of government? So Wandy, you mentioned um, China as, mm-hmm. a, as a, a collaborative partner in, in the examples you cited. And then Gavin, um, from your current practice, I think, and from my current practice, the Brexit climate and the sure. Commonwealth climate is an interesting um, set of circumstances for our officials. Um, so any reflections on examples you found at that level of, of this sort of brand identity um, discussion? Sure. Um, one of the things that fascinates me in the, in the Brexit climate is international sport from a UK perspective. Um, does does the way that international sport is is set up in the UK strengthen or weaken the UK's international identity or status in the light of Brexit? What I mean by that is that in many forms of sport, the independent countries of the UK um, participate on an independent level. So if we look at the Commonwealth Games recently in Queensland, in Australia, um, Wales, Scotland, Ireland, Northern Ireland compete independently. If we look at the strong showing of, for example, the Welsh or Northern Irish international football teams at the last European Championships, that was a platform that probably gave gave those parts of the UK um, the biggest exposure they've had in, in modern history, arguably. I mean, on a political level, they don't have that clout. On a tourism level, um, arguably, they could do much better marketing what they have. So it really shone a light on those countries for positive reasons. However, the question there is, does that confuse the picture for people looking into the UK? How united is the UK? What does this mean? What does this mean for the UK moving forward? I was thinking about the upcoming World Cup. Um, A strong England showing could quite easily influence um, maybe the position of, say, Brexiteers. It might make them feel more bold about the UK's position or, or England's position within that setup. Equally, if if the English team have a poor showing at the tournament, what does that mean? Does that damage the psyche of, of the country moving forward and the confidence of the country and, and all the things that go with that around trade and diplomacy? So some of those hooks may sound tenuous, but I think they're really important, important about how people see it from the outside looking in. So from those hooks, one day, and from a very UK Western centric mm. perspective, how does that compare or contrast with your experiences in a more... American and uh, African Ethiopian context. Well, uh, I actually think that Brexit gives a really good opportunity uh, as an outsider looking at it as a good opportunity for the UK government to fundamentally restructure their development uh, and aid agenda. And I think this this is very important because this can be tied to certain things within international sports. So it can be tied to infrastructure investment, infrastructure development, uh, as well as this kind of transfer. Like I I mentioned earlier that, you know, the success of the 2012 Olympics uh, uh, in in, in England um, gives an opportunity for them to be able to transfer this knowledge through consultancy or whatnot. So I think this could be used as part of their kind of uh, marketing agenda in international aid. Um, 
and, and in other words, I think that there's really a really good chance and a really good opportunity for them to use this kind of massive shift in the way their relationship with not just only Europe, but uh, the outside world, yeah. to use it for their benefit. Um, on the other side, on the recipient side of this kind of aid, uh, I think it's important that you know when you have a developing country, I believe that the, the state must be actively engaged in the economy. Yeah. Um, but right now, the current model development is that they want a private uh, economy, you know, liberalized economy, they talk about private, uh, you know, political rights as opposed yeah. to economic rights. Yeah. And so, I mean, in terms of, you look at Rwanda and the recent controversy about them sponsoring Arsenal. Yeah. Uh, you know, I think if you look at that issue, it's much deeper than just the Rwandan government using aid for their tourist industry. Mm -hmm. You know, this will change the image of Rwanda internationally. Millions of people will see on Arsenal a player's jersey visit Rwanda. And it's also, Rwanda is also working on really moving the barriers of the, the, the flow of goods, people, and capital. Yeah. And this is part of, part of their strategy. Yeah. Because now, if you want to go to Rwanda, you don't necessarily need a visa. Yeah. You go to the Kigali, and all you have to do is, right at the airport, you can apply for a 30-day uh, visa for a tourist visa. Oh, that's wow. simple, and that's it. And so this is part of a larger kind of effort that people are not really talking about. They criticize the government for what they're doing. But if you think of Rwanda, I mean, typically the majority of people, all they know is the genocide. That's fabulous. And um, from someone that have engaged with you as a peer, but also facilitated your learning this semester on the sport and diplomacy module, I can really see that instead of the you know reductive critique that you've just shown, you've got a real critical reflection on um, sport in, as part of a larger context, whether that's to do with um, some of the aid development or some of the things, Gavin, you were touching on um, about this, this movement of people in different regions of the world. Um, I'm going to give you both, um, set to you a little um, task to end on a final thought, but end that with a question. I think there's, like you've mentioned throughout, you could go more into depth. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, give our listeners or give yourselves a final thought and a really short question. I guess from my perspective, to, to try and tie in with some of Wandi's comments, I'm, I'm very interested on the legacy around the legacy of major sporting events. So what I mean if, is if the UK or other countries help developing nations to build their infrastructure, um, there's always the question of legacy. What does it leave for the population moving forward? Is it a fa fantastic sporting facility? Is it more know-how around infrastructure projects generally? Is it is it project management skills or any number of things? So I guess my question f for you, Wandi, is that um, do you truly believe that, for example, hosting a major tournament maybe maybe in, in an African country would be truly beneficial for its international brand and helping it develop generally moving forward? Well, I think right now it's not so much about its brand. I think for me what I want to look at is why don't these countries have the capacity to do this? Um, and I, I think that the this is really more about the idea that the kind of development that's practically, that's typically practiced by the Western nations, with the exception of some of the Scandinavian nations, is really only focused on uh, surface level issues, uh, talking about human rights. And um, human rights are very important and democratic principles, but you need a robust middle class to hold a government accountable. And in order to do that, you have to have 
some economic rights, high living standards. Uh, and I think China has been, well, I'm not advocating all of what China is doing. They, they definitely need to fix some of the, their approaches. But there's no doubt that China has been able to lift millions of people out of depths of poverty and in a very short time. And I think it's worth looking at some of their uh, their ideas on development and not necessarily looking at state involvement in development as a bad thing. Uh, because at this point, to push these low-level developments, uh, these countries cannot compete in the international market by just using commodities as like coffee and whatnot. And so to help facilitate this kind of transfer of, of skills and knowledge will ultimately, is, it goes beyond sports. And uh, it's, there's a question about, you know, how beneficial are these international events? But the capacity, I think, is very important. And what would be your short reflective question on that? I guess my, my so it's, it's kind of more about the image component. I think that the UK is in a very interesting place. And I think they really can change not only their image with their partnership with Europe, but with the rest of the world, because there is this assumption that the UK can just go to any of their former colonies and whatnot and have a very beneficial deal to them. But some of these countries are in a very different place. Mm -hmm. I mean, the UK cannot just push around India. India is a very mm -hmm. interesting and powerful country at this point. So I think this is a really good way to strengthen their relationship. And I think there's elements of trade in it. And I think uh, it's a good opportunity right now and to see how that kind of evolves. It's not so much of a question, more of a reflection on the current situation. But from a from a, a privileged British colonial perspective, which I would say my voice is, um, comes from, is that raises a, the question, which is why we've put a particular term at the, the central focus of this wider SOAS project, that it needs to be multidirectional. It cannot be unilateral, monodirectional, um, in how things have been done in the past or what others may be deemed to be best practice but how can we have a conversation and we will not answer that in this podcast but i'm really pleased that we can end on that note thank you so much for listening we will have uh, more podcasts coming out very soon and we have ongoing public events and opportunities here at soas around sport diplomacy and governance and um, so check out the soas uh, project page or um, check us out on Twitter, which you'll find all the links on the blurb of the SoundCloud. Uh, thank you so much, Wandy and Gavin. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you. Thank you.